Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Loveline is meant for an adult audience. Loveline may contain sexually oriented content. Listener discretion is advised. Loveline with Dr. Chris starts. Three, two, one. Now. All right, we're back. Happy Wednesday, everybody. Hope you're getting through the week. Halfway through, and again, for some of you, we never stop. The week is just one less endless thing. Look, I'm watching the news. My heart's broken. You've seen these people that are attacking business owners and employees that are trying to follow the law? I mean, we're putting a law in place uh, this coming week that everyone in public has to wear a mask. That's here in LA. But people are throwing around the ADA and HIPAA uh, guidelines as though they understand these things to get out of wearing masks. And what's really funny is I was looking at some of the uh, things that people are writing down, and they're not even getting HIPAA spelled correct. They're, they're missing an A. Um, but basically this is here to protect us and people are misunderstanding the HIPAA rules, but it really falls under the same people. It's the same thought process of people that are using, um, emotional guide dog, uh, letters from therapists that actually, uh, don't need emotional pets. I, I, that was a mouthful and I didn't quite get that right, but you get where I'm going with that one. <laughs> I'm asked all the time by people, can you write a letter for my pet? I'm saying it's an emotional uh, support pet. And they're like, it's not. And so I can't do that because what happens is it it's overused and it's misused. And then that's going to, in the future, create more loopholes for those that really need it to get access to it when people are misusing it. Um, and so we, we can't have that. And so, no, I won't sign those anymore. But these people trying to get out of wearing a mask, not even understanding what the law actually says about who doesn't have to wear a mask, they're slinging it around. And I was watching that video went viral. I think we all saw it where the employee was like, I'll shop for you. And she just was not having it because some people are just entitled, you know what I mean? And they just don't want to be told no and they want to get their way. It's so heartbreaking. So let's let's be better than that. Um, so anyway, that that's going on. God bless it. <laughs> that stuff hurts my heart. Also, traveling the UK, they're going to find people if you break quarantine. If you fly into the UK, you need to self isolate for fourteen days. Oh man, I get it though. I get it though. People are trying to protect themselves. And also this was coming up in Hawaii. Hawaii put out a press release saying, Hey, please stay home. Please do not come here. Do not come here and be a tourist. If you don't live here, don't come here. And if you do, you need to self-isolate. Two people got arrested because they weren't self-isolating and they posted pictures on their social media and they got reported. So we're living in a time of snitching, which I'm okay with. You know what I mean? Like, look, people report, they report because those two people were breaking the law, not following you know, public health precautions and rules. And so that stuff matters. Um, so let's care about how we impact other people. That's all I see in this entitlement is I don't care about you. I want my needs met. And so I'm going to disregard the impact this has on the larger world and also the employee in front of me and then threaten to get them fired and to sue, which clearly you're not, and you're going to lose, but it's really upsetting to me. So, um, handle that. Like that stuff breaks my heart. Other good news though, <laughs> Disney plus is getting a new LGBTQ plus content. Heartwarming story about a man coming out to his parents. It's called 
out and follows a queer man as he tries to work up the courage to open up to his parents when they come to visit. I'm here for this stuff. Everyone is going to at some point in their lives, if they haven't already, know or meet a gay person. They might be gay themselves or LGBT, somehow on the spectrum. And so we need to get familiar seeing it, hearing it, learning how to talk about it. These aren't bad words or bad things. And so I, I love this. More content like this. We need more supportive content like this. Also, the U.S. birth rate is at its lowest in 35 years. Oh, man. A lot of reasons why. People are working too hard. They don't have the time or energy for sex or for dating or um, even wanting a family because it'll get in the way of their career. Corona's not going to help with that. People thought there might be a baby boom because of this, that people be at home having more sex. No, people are tired. Remember, sex drive and arousal and sexual interest takes energy and time, and we are overworking. We're burnt out. Corona is making us fatigued and tired and not motivated, but our work schedules are a mess. People talk about work-life balance, but we don't. We don't work 40 hours and then have 40 hours of rest, fun, and leisure. We don't have that balance. We have far from that balance. But the beautiful thing that's coming out of this, Twitter CEO said, if you can work from home in moving forward, y'all get to, I'm happy for that. Other businesses with people I'm familiar with, they're saying maybe they get to stay home and work from home half the week. More than that, I have a client who's going to maybe only have to go in one day a week working in their profession business. I'm here for that stuff. That might help help us actually develop a work-life balance, which studies show, and we talked about this, China did a big study where they showed that more flex time, four-day work weeks actually improved productivity. Because remember, if people are tired and burnt out, they, their productivity drops. So does their focus. So does the competence and success of the work they're putting out there. That matters. So it's not the longer they're there, the better and the more they're producing. And also remember, these are people. <laughs> Employees do more when they feel cared for by their employers. And so that's a good thing to kind of um, seek. <laughs> You know what I mean? So try to create that. I want everyone to leave their job feeling neutral or better. That's always the framework I used. So, you know, let's, let's, let's just be better employers. Let's just be better people. But that's the one thing I think that might come out of this pandemic that could be beneficial to all of us is these shift in work lives, uh, understanding now that we can actually be more productive from home. I'll be curious to see how it impacts the, the entertainment industry because there's a lot of people doing shows from home. I think it's going to have more acceptability. I'm, I'm, I'm happy for it. You know, I, as a therapist in the past, wasn't a fan of any kind of teletherapy, but in only being able to do that now, I've seen the, the beauty and the benefit of that for myself and for others in some cases. It's not something I would resort to 100%, but I'm open to it sometimes in some ways for some people. So I've, I've grown from it in that way. So I'm thankful that that happened. So, you know, God bless it. We're always just trying to find more self-care. Our culture just doesn't even understand that term. You know, it's still something we're learning about. So anyway, all right. Listen to Love Line with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, we're back. It is time to talk about toxic influences. Now, we've talked extensively about the impact of the world around us on our mental health. And it's, that's an empowering message, right? That everything around us, if we can curate a world that really supports who we are, reflects back who we want to be and the values that we want to hold or that we currently have, that's really going to be good for our mental health. Now, that doesn't mean it's bad to have people that challenge your opinion or think differently. In fact, that's really imperative for mental health. Uh, otherwise, we have what we call a closed system, where if everyone just always agrees, looks the same, thinks the same, dresses the same, acts the same, has the same kind of sexuality, we never really get to encounter or internalize the beauty of diverse and creative ways of being, thinking, moving through the world. I mean, I value looking around at my social network and knowing that they come from all different fields. I mean, 
I don't know what kind of people y'all think I hang out with, but I don't run around with people in the mental health field. My friends are all various kinds of professionals and artists, uh, people in the industry, just people that I can learn a lot from and I can internalize a lot of who they are and what they're doing. And it's really, really, really um, expansive, right? So it's all about creating an open system. And we even know that from organizational and institutional psychologies that you don't want to create uh, board members or management or employers that are all the same. You want to have an open system where people can accommodate different kinds of needs. And also it creates more creativity. And that's why even here in Hollywood and writers rooms, they look for diverse writers from diverse backgrounds in terms of ability and race and sexuality and gender expression. Well, they're starting to. <laughs> that wasn't always the case. It had been traditionally the able-bodied, uh, neurotypical, you know, white male cis kind of perspective. And luckily, it's starting to get more diversified. And that's really beautiful because that means people will start to see themselves reflected back and also will learn how to see more different kinds of things in the world. I mean, and that's why I also talk about no matter what kind of children you have or even you're, as an adult, you want to show your kids all different kinds of cartoons and movies and films and books and make sure they have a wide group of friends because that's what the world looks like and they're going to encounter and see that out in the world. And you also never know who they're going to grow up to be. But um, I wanted to talk about the the idea of eliminating some of the negative toxic influences. And um, we know that 80% of Americans have experienced emotional abuse and three-fourths of U.S. employees have had toxic bosses. And what that really means is that there's a, there's a level of normality to having some toxicity in your life. And I'll hear that with people even in my practice or that call into my radio shows. They'll talk about things that to them are just normal and acceptable, but in fact, they're quite problematic and toxic. And I'll have to say that like, wow, it sounds like you're very familiar and comfortable with relationships of deprivation or toxicity. Let's, let's no longer allow that. Let's call that out. I mean, and I, it's always reciprocal where I want both the individual in front of me to be better and also the people that are in their lives and one influences the other, right? And that's why if only one person's working on themselves, yes, it can help improve the entire relationship because the other is now encountering someone better, new and different. And that's holding the bar high for them and seeing whether or not they will raise up and meet it. Sometimes they won't because sometimes in relationships, we unconsciously have this contract that I won't expect anything great from you and you will keep the bar low for me and we'll call that getting along and we'll be negative with each other and how we relate. And that system sustains itself. So, you know, that's not necessarily going to be one that's going to be very healthy, feel good, be solid or robust. So, you know, look for traits of the toxic people in your life. That's people that manipulate you, right? Um, also, people that make you feel bad about yourself. You know, again, as, as I say all the time with healthy sex, relationships are the same way and, and everything else in our lives. How do you feel before? How do you feel when you think about this person, place, or thing? How do you feel during? How do you feel while you are literally with? And then looking back, how do you feel afterwards? Because those are the three points. If every time that friend calls, if you get anxiety seeing them on the phone, that's something to really sit with. If while with them, you tend to realize, I, I don't feel great. I don't like the things we talk about. Or afterwards, you get off the phone or you walk away from an experience with them or even uh, you know from a job and you're like, I feel bad. I don't feel good. Those are three points I want you to pay attention to. Because you know, again, I want things in our life to be at least neutral, if not even more positive and beneficial in relationships, especially because we get to choose the ones we have mostly for most of us. And so choose good ones. You don't have to stay in that problematic friendship, family relationship, or romantic or sexual relationship. Those are all up to you. And so, you know, the first step is always saying, what am I maybe contributing that allows this to exist in the way it does? The second step is, can I speak to this person and ask for us to both be better? And then third, as I'm being better, can 
let me see if that impacts them when I relate to them from my best and will they meet me there? And then fourth, if they don't, you realize I might be too healthy for this or I might've outgrown this or this has a negative impact on me and for me. And you want to be very thoughtful about that because that's not the way you want to move through your relational life, right? Because again, our mental health is tied to all these different factors. Like we've talked about our friends, our family, our job, our social media. So really pay attention to curating those elements um, that you can. But first, you always want to look at yourself, who you are in those systems, and kind of, again, what you're, what you're bringing in and contributing. Because sometimes just that little switch and change, you know, where you keep the bar higher for yourself, kind of raises it for them. And then we get to find out who they can be when we're coming from our best, right? It's more honest. Uh, can't always isolate them out until you do that work yourself. So anyway, you know, as always, do that work. Self-reflection first. All right, you are listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and on radio.com. Uh, I want to talk to you about uh, something that's coming out. It's called the COVID Pass. Oh, yes, wait for this. Anytime something's going on, technology swoops in. Basically, it's what they're calling a digital health passport. Now, the love, sex, and dating apps are the ones that are getting engaged to this because people are nervous about eventually meeting up. And the app said to themselves, well, these are for people to you know get together at some point. So what can we do knowing that we're in a pandemic to make people feel like they can be safer and connect? And that's what's happening. So basically, the apps that want to participate in this, as I said, again, digital health passport, you would go get tested for COVID. And upon getting negative results, that medical health record piece would be linked to your dating profile. And then you can make it make it accessible to those that you want to have access to it so they can know that you are COVID free. Ah, yes, this is the world we're living in now. All sorts of uh, data and uh, health code sharing stuff. All right. We got Dr. Jen Wider joining us. Uh, Dr. Jen, how are you? Good, Dr. Chris. How are you? Uh, I was good. I was excited to sit down and talk to you tonight because I'm sure you saw the news, all the ridiculousness that was happening over the weekend. Yes. <laughs> uh, what was going through your mind? Because as I was watching, and I don't want to call any specific place out because we saw these events happening on the East Coast. It was happening in the Midwest. It was happening up in Toronto. So seeing these large gatherings, um, it made me start to feel anxious. And I noticed I was watching my hands more. What were your thoughts? <laughs> I dipped my head in Lysol after watching that, Chris. Um, I I think one of the challenges we're going to face, unfortunately, as a nation is the fact that, uh, you know, we're at a real divide. Our country really is splintered. There are a lot of people feeling that being told to wear a mask by federal authorities, by state authorities, is an affront to their civil, civil liberties. And those are sort of the issues for us compared to other nations that are going to be able to put a lid on this and keep the numbers low. You know, I think uh, it really comes down, Chris, to what you can tolerate as your individual risk. But at the same time, when you're mixing with people and you're not taking the proper precautions, you could potentially be putting other people at risk. And that's what we saw this weekend in many, many cases. And it, and it's a, it's a funky conversation to have with yourself, your loved ones, your family members, because again, some people are self-isolating with others somewhere on their own. And it's been, it's been coming into my practice a lot. And on one hand, some of it's a mental health concern. On, on another hand, it, it's it's not at all. And I'm having that conversation with a lot of my patients in my practice via telemedicine. But they're asking, like, what what is safe to do and what's not safe to do? Now, the Department of Health in St. Louis asked everyone that was out this weekend in the Ozarks to please take and quarantine for the next two weeks. So they're taking yeah. that very seriously. But this kind of dovetails into my next topic, which is 
with the questions that are being asked and what we saw over the weekend, people are wanting to start to kind of venture back out into the world. And I had two people ask me today about travel and flight. So knowing that you're a parent, knowing that you're also an MD, knowing that you're tracking the news, what do you say to anyone in your life that wants to maybe travel right now or get on an airplane? Well, and that, and that's the thing. I think people really need to proceed with caution. You know, we spoke about this a little last time we spoke, but there was this viral picture that went live on Instagram uh, of a doctor who was volunteering his time from the West Coast from San Francisco. And he came over to New York City on a plane w- uh, with United that was a free flight for him and a lot of first line responders. And then on his way home, the promise was that United was going to provide a situation where they would social distance on you know, in the air as much as possible, remove that central seat or at least not have anyone sit there. Mandatory masks and also gloves for flight attendants, including passengers. Because again, it's not just the passengers that are are at risk, it's the flight crew and the flight attendants as well. So I would be cautious um, and I will be cautious personally about flying. You know, I have the luxury of not needing to fly for work, so it becomes a little bit tricky. The issue is, here is this industry, Chris, that really has been hemorrhaging, right? It's like, an industry that has been one of the hardest hits by this pandemic and this lockdown. And the 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 airlines really need to take these precautions very seriously. And those pictures we saw just a week ago, people walking around without a mask, of the masks, you know, down around their neck, um, it's just not going to go. And, and in other countries like South Korea and Singapore, where these are just mandatory guidelines by the country, that's what we need to see in this country. You know, if we knew that all of these guidelines would be followed, then I think it's safer. The question is, is someone lowering their mask on the flight? Are we going to be packed in like sardines shoulder to shoulder with people in the middle seat be taken? You know, the question remains to be seen. But again, if you look at this study, Chris, out of UCLA, and this was pre-Memorial Day, about a week before, asking American people if they'd be comfortable flying, 40 to 60 percent, you know, and that's a a big, a big shift there, said they would not, even Mm. with restrictions lifted. So, I think the industry is going to have a tough time coming back. People are going to fly. You know, if you look post 9-11, where we felt like the airplane industry was in big trouble, it came back about three months later. But we need those secure protocols put in place, the health and hygiene protocols. And it needs to really come from a higher level, whether it's the FAA, the federal government, the CDC, whoever it is, they need to be non-negotiable guidelines, I think. And at that case, I would feel better flying than without these willy nilly guidelines. Because that's what it does feel like a little willy nilly. And it's almost like air, air, airline by airline. And it's also there's like this cultural difference, because I was talking to a friend up in Canada, and they said, you know, we're not needing laws locally mandating that we wear masks in public, because we all just naturally are. He's like, you can't find someone not wearing one. And I said, Oh, we'll come down to LA because like every other person's not wearing one here. So it's interesting on that level too, but it's that personal decision, I guess, of risk for yourself, but also trying to hold space for the fact that you're impacting others and what risk do you want to put them at? Absolutely. And I have had the same conversation with Canadians. And I think the problem with COVID-19 in the United States is it's been politicized since the beginning and it's a rift. And there are people on one side or the other feeling that this is, you know, politics and it really isn't. This is a disease that affects Republicans and Democrats and people that are you know, from all walks of life, no matter what your party affiliation is, even an independent is affected by this, unfortunately. And we need to work together as a society. I wish we looked more like Canada because I'm very envious with the fact that, you know, they're looking out for each other in a way that it doesn't have to be hammered home every time somebody isn't wearing a mask. 
Yeah, because every time I see someone not wearing a mask, I think this is just going to get dragged out longer and I'm ready to get my life back as soon as possible. Yeah. And especially if you have a healthcare worker, like I do in my house, you know, it's a risk for all our healthcare workers as well. So I agree with you 100%. Well, thank you as always for your time. And please give your husband a big thank you because I know he's out there on the front lines. Thank you, Chris. And have a beautiful night. You too. All right, it's time to slide into the DMs. Sliding into the DMs. Sliding into the DMs is brought to you by our friends at Trojan Condoms because it's a big old sexy world and we want you to explore with confidence. All right, this is a good one. This came in um, to, um, I guess, my personal email, I think, somehow. Um, Okay, Uh, thought this might be a good question because of your addiction topic last week. The writer in said, what is the best way to maintain a healthy relationship with an addict parent? I want a relationship with my dad, but if it weren't for me reaching out to him, we would probably never talk. I think he's ashamed because he hasn't been the best parent. I know when it's a potential love interest that never reaches out first, you say, let it go because it's not a relationship and is only one sided. But does that apply to a parent child relationship as well? Oof, that is that kind of stuff. This is heartbreaking. So I, I just want to first empathize with your struggle because anything parent child based just comes with an extra level of intensity and uh, weight. So I empathize with that. Um, and you're correct. It, you know, different relationships are going to have different, I guess, quote unquote rules. Uh, and also expectations. If you're dating someone, it's someone that most likely hasn't been around for a long time. And so there's not that history and that psychological attachment that we tend to have with our parents. Not everyone does, but most of us do. So when you're trying to maintain a healthy relationship with an addict parent, let me start broad with my answer. When you're trying to maintain a relationship with any addict, the old school thought, and we've talked about this before on Loveline, was that you need to let them go, let them hit hit rock bottom. It's not how we're looking at it anymore. We're realizing that what they really need is connection. And people that are struggling need people in their lives that have set boundaries and are taking care of themselves, but are still around for us, are still there for us, letting us know that people still care. And we don't need to actually fully hit rock bottom. Um, And so it's okay with boundaries to still stay in someone's life, just making sure that you're not letting their use negatively impact you. Um, so when it becomes apparent, I kind of offer this up. So a few things, stay connected with boundaries, but you also have a right to set a really important one, which is I won't be around you if you're drunk or high. It would be great if you could give me a heads up and I would then not come by that day or I'd reschedule or I won't spend the holiday with you. But if I show up and you're drunk and high, I leave immediately. No questions asked, no conversation. Um, if you're using, if I think you're high already and I'm, I'm happy to be around you when you're sober, uh, because sometimes people's addiction is lifelong. Not everyone wants to get sober. Not everyone can get sober for a multitude of reasons. Some people's story, unfortunately, is one of constant use and relapse, use and relapse. And again, not everyone wants to get sober or not everyone even identifies their use as a problem. And sometimes it isn't. And maybe people are too sensitive, but nonetheless, stay in his life. He's important to you. Obviously, um, he needs someone around that can show love and care to him. That can be very motivating, but uh, set the boundary. I, I don't want to hear about your use. I don't want to be around it and no questions asked, no conversations. If I see it, hear it or think about it, I'm out. And, uh, there's that, but good luck, man. It's really tough. Um, it's sometimes about just management, you know, loving them, loving them anyway. Um, okay, here we got another one. Um, <clears throat> I'm trying to think which one's quicker. Okay, here we go. Hi, Dr. Chris. So I'm really upset. My boyfriend and I are basically roommates. Oof. When I hear that word, I know things aren't going well. We've been together four years and after six months of dating, I got pregnant with our daughter. I feel like we're only together for her. Oof. 
We haven't had sex in a month. Okay, that's not horrible. <laughs> it's actually, don't pull the fire alarm yet. He never compliments me or gives me much attention, but comments on other girls' pictures, flirty things, and makes it known he thinks someone's attractive. Well, it's not very kind or nice. He always tells me his type is skinny blondes, and I'm curvy, dark-haired Mexican. Again, very not nice of him. I, cause you do not need to be told that I know that's not a huge deal. I think it is, but on top of everything else is hurtful. Of course I feel unwanted, unappreciated. Yes. Um, it makes me feel like I'm talking to a wall when I tell him, I hope we can work it out. It makes me feel like I'm overreacting. What can I do? Well, let me just call this out. Staying together for a child isn't helpful for the child. The child needs love, not two parents. So it's better for him to be with two separated parents that are both happy and living the lives they want to live. That's going to be better for them, your daughter, than to just stay together for the sake of it. Both of you miserable, depressed, anxious, not getting along. That is a horrible idea. And you're also not modeling relational health to them. I'd want you to show your daughter that sometimes it's okay to leave. Sometimes you have to leave. And if a relationship isn't full of love anymore, you absolutely must leave. And that's what mom and dad did, but we still love you. Um, But it doesn't sound like this person is in love with you or mature enough or kind enough. I mean, my gosh, he's openly talking about liking the opposite of you attraction wise he's pointing out people he's attracted to he shrugs it off when you try to talk to him it's time to go i don't want you to have to beg someone to stick around or fight that hard we don't chase people right interested people don't need to be chased at or pulled in like that right they're they're just there they're present so if you're this struggling this much in question this month it's just not not good so got my support and balance in Ay, ay, ay. All right. Uh, sliding to our DMs is brought to you by uh, our friends at Trojan Condoms because it's a big old sexy world and we want you to explore with confidence. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. We got a great show planned for you. We have singer-songwriter Two Feet joining us to talk about his mental health journey and also the different forms of self-care he's engaging in right now. I wanted to open up by talking about relationships. One of the most powerful determinants of mental health is your relational health. In fact, our self-esteem is actually relational esteem. How we feel about ourselves is a reflection back, an accumulation of all the different ways that everything around us and the people around us have told us about our worth. Now, a lot of people are talking about things like work on being on your own or single. We do not have our relational health handled yet. And that we see in the news. We're seeing people getting spit on, pushed into the water, all different sorts of forms of violence because they're being asked to wear a mask. People calling the cops on each other. So it it really shows us how much work we have to do so we can be better relationally. And that is on a macro level, like I'm talking about, just the way we interact with those around us in the world, but also just individually. Look, singledom isn't always the easiest place for us to live, but it is far easier psychologically than being in some kind of relationship with someone, especially romantically. And that's why I have all of my clients, especially right now, on those apps, still trying to date with distance, God bless, learning all different kinds of ways of checking in with each other. But again, our relational health is our mental health. So the best way to work on it is by working on and improving the way we are in relationship to everyone, every single person that's in our lives. So um, pay attention to that because again, that's how we really do that work. All right now, we're going to be going to our guest, Two Feet. Welcome to the show. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm doing really, really, really well. Good to see you. Um, so I always Good like to, to see s- you too. Sorry. That's okay. We got gotcha. you. lagging a little. 
Okay. God bless technology. Um, so I always like to. I know. Yeah. I always like to start the show by asking people right now during this pandemic how their own mental health is. I'm sorry, you kind of cut there. I'm gonna move. Just maybe I gotta okay. get a bit of a for sure. Or something. No sorry problem. about that. That's right. We'll go on a little tour of your okay. place. <laughs> yeah. I apologize. That's all right. We're getting a home um, tour. It's like cribs. All right. Yeah. All right. Here. All right. This beautiful. Good backdrop too. A little better. Okay. There so you go. <laughs> I was just asking you a little bit about your mental health right now during the pandemic. Um, how are you doing? Uh, you know, uh, some days are better than others. Kind of just take it as it comes. Uh, it's obviously sometimes you just kind of overwhelmed with anxiety. If you read too much of the news or you're, you know, you have too much time to think can just itself cause a lot of problems. Um, but today I'm doing good. You know, I went on a run, took care of myself a bit and, uh, yeah, feel good today. What, what are your main forms of self-care is, I mean, jogging is one of them. Everyone keeps talking about baking and jogging and I refuse to do either. What else are you up to? <laughs> uh, well, music, staying creative is I think probably more important to me than, um, even being, you know, active weirdly. Cause I mean, you're still being active when you're creative, but yeah, that, that's definitely the most important thing to make sure I stay fresh and feel good. So you, you described your music making as somewhat meditative and it's, it's interesting. Mm -hmm. Like every time I sit down and interview someone, it's fascinating to look at how a time like this is either very motivating creatively or it's quite the opposite, but you said that you've been producing and writing, so it's propelled you. Yeah. Um, you know, you have that, you have that extra time, you know, um, in some ways, a lot of things are taken off of people's plates and, um, I've just kind of used it to create. And, um, I don't know it, it initially when everything first kind of started happening, I oddly felt very inspired to write and, and make stuff and, and make new music and just have fun or hang out with my friends, uh, you know, you know, hang out with my friends, at least virtually. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, you know, so I, I, music and being creative is definitely my meditation for the day. It's beautiful. And so looking at some of the interviews, also looking at some of your song lyrics, it was really powerful for me to see the heightened level of vulnerability that you bring to your craft. And we don't, we don't often see that in our culture. So where did the confidence come from? If even if it's rooted in confidence for you to just bear yourself so powerfully, um, I think it's more just um, I kind of need to do it. Like you said, you're not sure if it's rooted in confidence. I mean, sometimes it is. You know, sometimes I'll write something or, or you know, second guess myself. Like, should I really say that? It almost feels too personal to put in a song. But uh, a lot of it is just like I need to do it in order to, um, you know, feel healthy. Really, that's that's kind of where a lot of it comes from, and I'm, I'm happy that it seems to help a lot of people too. So. Yeah, that's the one thing that's been really beautiful doing the show is just seeing what a lifeline music has been, not just for the artists, but also for our listeners as well. And I think it's, you know, I've shared this on another segment where sadly it's left out of psychology. You know, my field, we don't talk about the impact music can have. And just like people yourself, it's your self-care. It's also your career. So mm -hmm. um, have you ever gotten to a point where you wanted to take back anything that you put out? <laughs> Uh, that's a really good question. Um, kind of, I guess sometimes, you know, uh, it's like, uh, sometimes I listen to my lyrics. I'm like, wow, that was really kind of a storytelling moment. I, I wish I didn't 
share as much. But, um, you know, like I said, I have people contact me or message me um, telling me like very specific lyrics, you know, things like that specifically impacted them. So um, sometimes if I have like a vague sense of embarrassment, it's it's immediately thrown off by just knowing that, you know, someone's getting something out of it. So. Yeah, somebody's getting something out of it, and God bless technology. Once it's out there, you can't take that back. I mean, no. I had moments like that in writing some of the articles I wrote, where it's like, once you hand it over to the world, it's like you're giving the world your baby. Yep. Two feet. Thank you so much for being a part of the show. So let's talk about legacy. Um, you know, again, your music is rooted in a lot of vulnerability. There's a lot of storytelling about things that you've been through. And I was looking at an interview where they were asking you about one of the females you referenced and you were kind of like, I don't want to get into that. What what do you want your legacy to be? What do you want people to look back or yourself look back and, and feel like you did with your music? Well, there's the musical part and then there's the personal part. So I guess Musically, I, I definitely would like people to um, just take something away from how honest some of the lyrics are, especially like in the song Pink, where I'm talking about like growing up or getting older in the city and seeing like the relationships of my friends and my life changing and stuff like that. So I think something like that, especially with a lot of the new stuff I've been writing, um, I think, yeah, just lyrical honesty with it would be a good legacy and then from a personal standpoint is you know i'm a musician but people also follow me and hear other things i say um i'd like them to take like you know i'm very honest with my mental health and um you know i've obviously had a lot of really tough situations you know before i've been hospitalized before on several three separate occasions actually and um you know i always share that with my fans i always tell them how i'm feeling um, I do talks, you know, interviews like this as often as I can to try to share like, you know, I was in a really dark place and, you know, it over time it changed and I got out of it and, you know, it wasn't easy. You know, people say, oh, I was in a dark place. And then all of a sudden, you know, it's like, I'm better now. Like, no, you know, there were weeks and months of hardship, but it did pass. And, you know, I still get sad or depressed sometimes, but, you know, it comes and goes like anything else. So I think if you're talking about legacy like that, I think it's just, I want to make sure that I always share as much as possible and have people have something they can relate to, you know? Um, and I think I'm working on doing that and still doing that as much as possible. Yeah. So much, so much honesty in that. What I also was moved by, and I thought this was very inspirational is you were talking about the role that, um, institutional education or academia can have on one's craft. And I know that we live in a time where education is really important. And for some, that's a powerful route to go. But for you, it sounded like you found more value in just kind of doing it on your own outside of school music. Music. Yeah. Um, I definitely did. I think it's cause when, when, when you, when you try to take like a creative class and something, um, it kind of oddly squashes a lot of the creative juices. I don't know. There, I just felt like there was a lot of rules being set up around music. Like, you know, like you have to go to the, you know, fifth after playing this note, you know, so it sounds jazzy in a certain way. And I, I, I wanted to get away from that as much as I could. I just wanted to be me. You know what I mean? So uh, creatively, I think the best thing I did honestly was to stop like going to school for music. I think if you're going to make music or if you're going to be creative, you're just going to be creative. No one can really teach you how to do it. You can learn 
certain lessons, certain technical aspects from school and stuff, but you can't really learn how to be creative. That's something you just have to do and not think about it. Beautifully said. Um, how's it going trying to be a normal guy? Because that was a quote that I thought was amazing as well, as you said. You know, I'm not so worried about uh, people's thoughts on my music these days. I just want to be left alone to be a normal guy. I kind of feel like that <laughs> ship has sailed. Yeah. Um, it, you know, it comes and goes. <laughs> like, uh, I live in New York City, so in New York City, you know, on occasion, someone will come over and say, oh, hey, like, you know, I love your music, yada, yada. But, uh, uh, you know, I guess that ship kind of has sailed. Yeah, <laughs> it's got, it, get, it gets increasingly harder. Um, like, um, yeah, I don't think normal guys really in the future for me and at least anytime soon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's kind of that's kind of gone. So what would you yeah. say to fans of yours that are listening and they're going through their own mental health struggles? Um, what kind of message do you want them to take away from this? Because, you know, your journey is one of resilience. You like you said, you've been hospitalized, you've suffered with mm-hmm. depression, it's still there, but you still have been able to kind of live in the world in the way you want successfully. Yeah. Um, I guess I can say what I what I'd like to say is, you know, it will be hard. You know, there will be days that it's hard and don't let anyone tell you that there won't be. But you have to always remember things pass and and you won't feel, you know, super if you're feeling really depressed now, you won't always feel that way. So don't let it like take up your whole existence. Don't 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 trap yourself into thinking that this is how it's going to be forever because it absolutely will not and I think that's just something that is super important that I always want to share with my fans is that things do get better and things do change and there's a flow and there's a good and a bad and, you know, um, just stick around because it's not worth, you know, I don't know, especially if you're having any sort of suicidal or, you know, self-harm thoughts or anything like that. Like, be honest, be open with your family, just talk to as many people as you can, listen to music, be creative even if you're sad, it will pass. I know it can be really hard, but I'm telling you it will pass and you'll have a better day and, you know, things will change. I promise. I promise. Beautiful. And coming from someone like yourself, even more meaningful to hear it. And I like what you said is it's a journey. We don't necessarily quote unquote, get well one day. And that's that it can be kind of circular, but hang in there because things can improve. Um, so I wanted to just talk quickly about the album pink. I had not heard mm-hmm. this said like this before, but you basically were saying it is a thing in and of itself. So please yeah. listen to it from front to back. Don't just jump in. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, what I meant by that is um you know a lot of albums come out and it kind of feels like every song was aiming to be a single so they just compiled like 10 singles and put it out as an album you know which is you know i have no, there's nothing wrong with that you know um but mine especially when i was writing it i did at least definitely honestly almost more sonically than even lyrically they kind of flow in a way like i really specifically spent a long time like planning how these songs would flow i thought about how like the you know the next song i was writing would fit in into the previous one and so i it's it in itself is kind of like the thing it's not you know there's no single to listen to in my opinion at least with this album it's more i just want you to sit put it on chill do whatever you're doing cook or you know relax whatever and just let it kind of play that's that's sort of what i meant by that it's an experience. I love that I yeah. can I can put it on and just sit in the bath and know that like I'm on a, a, a seamless journey. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Two feet. Thank you so much for being a part of the show, and also thank you for everything you're doing. Thank you so much. Yeah. Happy to be here. Have a beautiful night. You too. 
Okay, it's that time. Time to slide on into the DMs. Sliding into the DMs. Here we go. Dr. Chris, I started dating a guy last year who was introduced to me via a threesome proposal from his now ex-girlfriend, which never happened. A year later, he and I ended up dating. Almost a year in now, it's become really toxic. Fulfilling fantasies basically took over, and our relationship went from something real to full-on threesomes only, and it got to the point where he wanted to introduce strangers into the mix. I know it's toxic, verbally abusive, but that devil D. (laughs) My gosh, it just made my night. Just made my entire night with that. So now what should or can I do to move on or pull away from their toxicness? Please drop some gems for Sista. Okay, so number one, uh, I send out my heart, uh, my heart and empathy to you because I know how difficult it is when you're with someone and there's some component of it that's really keeping you in there, whether it's the sexual connection and chemistry or, excuse me, it's some other level of compatibility or interest. But I'm happy and thankful that you have enough care and self-esteem that you're stepping back and you're saying, is this good for me? Because sometimes people will rationalize sticking around in something and they'll deny that it's toxic or problematic or not what they want because of these levels of chemistry and compatibility or whatnot. So unfortunately, what can happen sometimes is when you meet someone and you meet someone in the context of something really kinky, you met them in the context of a possible three-way, you know, the other person gets really excited thinking, this is someone who's willing to go on this sexual journey with me. And it's understandable that you're saying, I don't want that to be the entirety of our relationship. And I don't want our sex life to always be centered around kind of pushing the boundaries and exploring. It It can stress you out. It can wear you down. I'm not sure what elements of it are verbally abusive, but if you're calling it that, I'm going to trust it and I'm going to support you in realizing that you you need to maybe leave. I always want to say first though that talk about it. Why do I say that? Because I work with some couples where they make a decision that something can't be changed or that the person isn't willing to change and they end it. Having never given the other person the opportunity to really be held accountable to what's going on and to really be asked and requested to make some changes. And I I want you to hear from this person a no or a yes first. So approach them about it. Hey, we met in the context of a possible threesome. Since then, we've had a really creative, diversified sex life. It's not working for me, or I feel like I need to say no or set some boundaries. And either I'm afraid I would lose you in doing so, or you've said you would leave me if I did that. Really say to them, I'm at a point where I need to take care of myself and this isn't working and I need to leave. It's feeling toxic. Are you open to making some changes? Are you open to changing the way we relate sexually? And if they say, yeah, I'm in, that's great. And if they're not open to that or they start to kind of, you know, say that you're sex phobic or you're sex negative or whatever it is, bounce. Because anyone who really wants to be in a relationship with you has to be open to being told that the way you're currently relating or the way sex is going isn't necessarily what you want. And they have to be open to making some tweaks and some changes. And so again, you're using the word verbally abusive and that's not okay. And so give them a chance to possibly be willing to make some changes and see if that's, that can happen. But if not, you got my permission to leave. So there's my gem for you. Uh, all right. We got time. Nope, we don't. Okay. So we're going to go. I had another DM. We'll save that to tomorrow night, but as always hit us up on our love on IG page with your other questions. You can always call in 833 love 001. 
You guys, thanks for hanging out with me. It's been an awesome Tuesday night. I started the show thinking it was Wednesday. It's only Tuesday. We got a few more days, but you know, we got it in us. We can do it. Get through those days. I'll be back tomorrow night. So come back and hang out with me. See you guys tomorrow night. Have an awesome night. Good night.